We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we work, the Yalukut Wilam clan of the Boon Nam. We pay our respect to their elders past, present and emerging as we try to live up to their example as storytellers. And we recognize that some stories are best told when the context is right. I just want to talk about something that I'm not supposed to talk about. Taboos. Taboos are those things that are not allowed due to a social custom. You know what I mean, right? The skeletons in the closet. The forbidden fruit. So we know loose lips sink ships. So we bite our tongue. And we don't rock the boat. Look, just one second. Sorry, there was an elephant in the room. Idioms are very good for discussing taboos, because they allow us to talk about things without saying them out loud. See, I like taboos because just like idioms, they'll tell you a lot about culture. Taboos tell you where the pressure points are, the sensitive spots. A lot of cultural fights we get into are around who gets to decide what a taboo is. When most people decide that, say, we're no longer going to treat interracial marriage or suicide or pineapple on a pizza as a taboo, there's always a group who aren't ready to talk about it. And it's understandable. When people have grown up with entire parts of the language built to help them not talk about it, language shapes who we are. So if you grow up somewhere where, let's say, gay people are called confirmed bachelors, or we beat around a bush about a pet's death by saying, well, they've gone to live on a farm. We come to see that these things are sort of cosmically off limits. Too terrible to entertain. Hey, Bridget. Uh, we were close together on this podcast. Can I be straight with you for a moment? Okay, sure. Great. I know this might be a little bit of a taboo here in Australia, but... Cool. Yeah, cool, cool. Um, yeah, I'm... Yeah. Hey, uh, Stefan. Stefan. Uh, you're here too. Stefan, why can't I say... I mean, it's not like offensive or anything, man. It's just, you know, a taboo. It's a taboo here in Australia, is what I'm saying. Okay, so I can't just say... So what about... Don't... don't uh, to talk more about taboos, I've invited Howard Manns, linguist from Monash University, back on the idiom to help us understand what taboos are and how they work. So a taboo is a prescription of behavior or a person or a thing for a particular community in a particular context. And I think these latter two points sometimes get lost on people. Taboo, the word originally comes from uh, Tongan, Polynesian, and in its original context, it referred to sacred things. It was very much about um, just, just the sacred and being careful around God because you know, whenever we humans deal with the unknown, it, it's a very slippery slope. So uh, what taboos ultimately do is they help us regulate um, behavior in a particular society, especially where that behavior might be 
perceived to be negative might perceive to be a flashpoint or lead to problems in society. What's really interesting about taboos more generally is that they give us a visceral reaction. You know, we have this bodily reaction to them. They're revolting, untouchable, filthy, you know, unmentionable, dangerous. And because of that, for us, they're very powerful. Um, but to, to go back to this contextual point and community point, what is very visceral and powerful for the person standing next to you might not be the same thing that's really visceral and powerful for you. You might not feel the same thing. One word or one concept across time and space might not be the same thing that impacts another person. All right, that makes me think, What words function as taboos? Well, these will vary across different cultures and also various times, but in general across languages, uh, across human languages and human contexts. You come across four key taboo areas. One of those taboo areas is religion and sacred topics. And this is where, you know, you get euphemisms like gadzooks for God's hooks, which refer to Jesus's um, nails from the cross. Um, so religion and sacred topics is the first one. The second one is body organs, activities and fluids. Um, and this is where, once again, you get a lot of these euphemisms, good ways of saying things where penis used to mean tail um, and it was used euphemistically before it kind of evolved into this word for what it is. Um, Sleeping together, you know, uh, for referring to sex uh, and, you know, the call for going to the toilet. All of these things kind of illustrate bodily fluids and body parts. Uh, the third thing that ultimately um, functions as taboo or is taboo across different contexts is actually food gathering and preparation. And um, a great example of this is that we raise pigs, but we eat pork. We raise cows, but we eat beef. So what we do is we dress up our words a little bit by choosing the French words for actually the thing that we eat. Yeah, we're not eating Mary from from the from the field. Exactly. We're we're eating a fancy French word instead, which puts some distance between us and and that. Um, this is actually. An add-on to some of this uh, food stuff and food preparation, though, is you often see whenever there there's like this fervor of nationalism that people will rename their food stuffs to distance themselves from from you know other people. During World War One here in Australia, um, there was a shift from the German sausage to the Windsor sausage. The fourth set of words that typically function as taboo and the fourth area of taboo is typically diseases, death, and killing. So, you know, we, we don't typically talk about death, right? We talk about rest, lo rest, loss, passed away, kick the bucket, pushing daisies. You know, that's what we do with language. That's how we cope in difficult times or with difficult topics. So would you say that taboos are often idiomatic expressions? Yeah, totally. I mean, um, there's this really natural overlap between taboos and idioms because, of course, at their core, idioms don't mean exactly what you would expect them to mean on their surface. And with taboo, what we're often trying to do in our choice of words is actually distance ourselves from the the bad thing, you know, the thing that is prescribed because of it you see all these wonderful idioms emerge in relation to taboos so you know one that i like 
um, here in Australia is ducks on the pond. And what's really interesting about this uh, idiom, ducks on the pond, is that it's generally viewed in historically, you've wanted to be very careful about the kind of language you use. If you're a man, you want to be very careful about the kind of language that you use in front of a lady or children. And ducks on the pond used to be a code that got used and still gets used actually here in Australia whenever uh, a, whenever a, a woman or, or the owner of a house that you're working on comes onto the site. Uh, people will scream ducks on the pond and that's the way to tell you that you should begin regulating your language. So looking back in history or maybe in literature, have we previously used idioms uh, to discuss taboos? Yeah, I mean, we find it across different cultural contexts too, actually, that people use these idioms um, to be able to discuss taboo things. And in fact, um, in fact, there's this great way of viewing it, I think, by by this linguist Jack Dubois, who actually studies a lot of Mesoamerican contexts, so like Central American and Mexican contexts. He calls it speaking the culture, and. The idea of speaking the culture is that if I'm actually using this idiomatic expression to describe you, you know, as as intoxicated or as as being unattractive, if I'm using the idiom, it's not actually coming from me. You know, it's this idiomatic expression that's actually circulating in a in the culture and I'm invoking this to be able to negatively evaluate you and it's a way of like just literally voicing another person and that's why he calls it speaking the culture um so speaking the culture would be using australian slang any of those great australian slang ways to actually say intoxicated you know oh well you know look at you you're as full as a palmy complaint box that's not me saying that you know language doesn't just mean language uh especially from the way that i would look at it as a linguist language does stuff And that stuff is sometimes very emotional and sometimes visceral. So it can be useful to actually ask yourself, not necessarily what something means, but actually what is it doing in this uh, circumstances and to what degree is that something emotional or, or problematic for one person or the other. The same thing with pronouns that, that people sometimes get very upset about being asked to use a particular pronoun. And ultimately what What ends up happening is if you talk to somebody about why, if you sit down and actually probe the reasons of why they've come to this particular instance and and are interested in having their correct pronoun used, or let's let's kind of flip this a bit, a pronoun that makes them feel safe in a conversation, the reasons that they're asking you to do these things are actually quite compelling. So I, I think that's why it's really good to walk backwards from the context that you're in. I think we... We don't have those kinds of conversations, and I think that actually those kinds of conversations are some of the most critical conversations that we can be having this day and age. Okay, Howard, how do taboos change over time, and how do taboos influence the way we talk? Well, the societies, of course, change over time, and what typically happens is taboos are wrapped up in society, and because they are, you know, whatever a society feels is important at any one time is is going to influence their taboos. There's something called a euphemism treadmill, and what 
ultimately happens with the euphemism treadmill is that whenever you think of a nice way to say something, if it's associated with a taboo or a difficult topic, it will gradually over time develop a bad meaning and sometimes an insulting meaning. And thinking about this, uh, the word moron, right? The word moron, if you go back into the 19th century, is actually just a medical diagnosis. And if you look in the 1920s, there's actually a very vivacious kind of debate in the newspapers about the extension of this term as an insult. Like the people, the people who work in psychology are actually getting really, really panicked. Why is this word being used as an insult? And this is something that ultimately happens in language is oftentimes a word that starts out quite neutral will develop negative meanings. And I think people need to understand that these sorts of processes happen in their discussions when they're talking to other people about these things. And this is something that just happens with language, you know, um, that whenever there's a bad word, um, it pushes out a good one. You mentioned an earlier... So the meaning of words often change over time and across cultures. This brought me back to what Howard was talking about in the beginning about taboos being originally from Tongan. Joining us is Tonya Toy, president of the Pacifica Community of Australia. She's a proud Tongan woman who migrated to Australia and was kind enough to share her insights on Tongan tapus. Malo elele fefe hake. Malo elele saipe fefe koe. Saipe malo. And that's, that's all uh, the Tongan I know. That's good. Could you comment on the... the, the um, Tongan tapus. Tapu means sacred. But there's a limit to places, areas that you can enter or perform. For me personally, I take it to heart. Uh, it, it might sound like it's restricting you from doing things, mm-hmm. but... I guess it's important to have this. Tapu means end, stop, do not enter sacred places. Tapu, the word tapu, simply because our country is all about respect. We have sacred places, especially in faith and in culture. There's places that you can enter. And there are places that we have, we use the word tapu, especially in family settings and also because we have a huge respect to our king and then the noble lines and then we bring it back to our family unity. It's play a, a critical role, the word tapu. So what would be examples of... Um sort of the, the more sacred tapus in, in Tongan society? Well, I can only comment, uh, ex- especially like in family settings. I know that I cannot eat my f- maternal father's leftover uh, food. I cannot um, enter their bedrooms. Brothers and sisters, maternal brothers and sisters, we cannot expose ourselves any part of your body it's very sacred to us and also when we enter faith space there's 
a space that it's only for um, individual congregations. We can't go beyond that because it's only for ministers. And then when we enter into uh, the king's um, palace, there's a protocol and certain place that draw the line for us as um, the commoners to enter those spaces. But um, we love it because it's something that we adore. It's not restricting us to anything. We embrace it very much and we respect the learnings that we receive from our ancestors and it boosts Stay with me no matter for how long. No one can ever take that away from me. That is my, part of my culture and it's staying with me for the rest of my life. Tongans preserve something sacred through their tapus, which helps to maintain their way of life. And discussing taboos in multicultural society like Australia is kind of a tricky business. Not everything that's a taboo for me is a taboo for you and vice versa. As Howard said, It's about community and about context. Power and privilege play a role in shaping taboos. In some instances, taboos are used to enforce power dynamics and maintain the status quo. This is where the real challenge lies. Some taboos are meant to be challenged as time catches up with them, while others should remain intact. Sometimes breaking them makes you a hero, sometimes a villain. As I continue to navigate the complexities of cultural traditions and social dynamics in this multicultural society, I have to approach the subject with an open mind. I can't travel with all of my taboos and expect them to be adhered to. I need to respect the culture of the place where I am. So I can't just say... The Idiom is a production of ThinkHQ Cultureverse and SBS. It is hosted by me, Rune Pedersen, produced by Bridget Burke, Jacob Ages, and Stefan Delatovic, and written by me and Stefan Delatovic. If you haven't seen our amazing artwork, it's done by Wendy Tang, and you can find it online. Follow and review us wherever you found this podcast, and tell us your favorite idiom at theidiom at sbs.com.au.